You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. If you were here last week, you'll know that we're spending a couple weeks talking about finances. And it's always an awkward thing for some people. And we talked about that last week as to why that is. Uh, Two primary reasons why we think it's important for us as a church to talk about something that really is, can be looked at as so carnal, you know, so secular, so unspiritual. Um, And one of the reasons is this, is that there's a direct relationship between how you handle, how you think about, how you handle your money and your true spiritual condition. How you, how you, those two relate together is a reflection of your spiritual life. So why is that the case? How are they connected? Because ultimately it becomes a function of trust. Are we trusting in money or the pursuit of money? We need a little bit more, a little bit better. The, are we trusting in those things to provide for our security? Are we trusting in things to provide us happiness and contentment in life? And those are things that can only be fulfilled by God. You cannot find those in things and money. And so we see that in that tension, that struggle sometimes people have with money. The second reason why we think it's important is because it's too easy to let money or the lack of money, it goes both ways, to dominate our thinking and our behavior often in ways that are very detrimental to us. So yes, there's this practical, real-life necessity for money, and yes, it can have this very unspiritual idea to it, but the way we approach it, the way we think about it, has very significant spiritual application and implications in our life. So last week, we looked at this idea that money is a trust. It all belongs to God. It's all His. And we're his stewards. We've been entrusted to take care of his resources. Money is also a tool. was one of the things we looked at. It's a great tool, but it can also become our master. And money is a terrible master. Money, again, or the lack of money, can literally control our behavior. Our goal should be used to be to use money as a tool in a way that honors God and serves other people. I believe all of us have a desire to not let money control us. I think all of us want to live, I think all of us would appreciate a little bit more of it, but I don't think any of us live life such that we want money to control us in the way we live our lives. All of us desire to live in the freedom that God intended, even financial freedom. Financial freedom is not about how much you make. It's about how you manage how much you make. So what you make is irrelevant, whether it's a little or a lot. It's how you manage it that we want to speak to uh, this morning. Case after case of people who have won the lottery only to find themselves worse off than they were before, those stories are rampant. So it's not just the accumulation of more money that we're talking about. It's about how we need to think about it and how we meet the management that is at stake. We would all like to make more. Anybody okay with where they're at? No, okay. Well, I think most of us would be happy making a little bit more. But if you don't have a plan to manage what you make, you will always find yourself in a place of financial stress. And that's not the case, and that's not the way God intended for it. So I came across some statistics here um, here recently 
national statistics, 55% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. The mean credit card debt of U.S. households is approximately $5,700. That means half the people have debt more than that, half the people have debt less than that. 30% of Americans pay the minimum due on their credit card, which and the average interest paid every year is almost $1,300, just in interest on the credit cards. 66% of Americans would struggle to come up with $1,000 in an emergency. 39% of Americans have no savings. And in one survey, 47% said they are highly stressed because of their financial circumstance. <clears throat> now, I have absolutely no desire to make anyone feel bad if you represent one of those statistics, okay? Um, there are many reasons why someone might find themselves in financial difficulty. Some of them are which are completely beyond your control. So this is not an accusation or saying, hey, you need to do better. I mention these statistics only to point out that if you are struggling, you're not alone. Most importantly, I think we can help. So this morning, I want to talk kind of broadly, again, a little about financial freedom. And then at the very end, I've got a very specific action step. I think that can be useful uh, to, some of, to some. So we're talking about this path to financial freedom. What are some things that we want to be able to do in order to help us get there? <clears throat> now, in the interest of full disclosure, although I firmly believe in the five different points, if you've got your worship guide, you'll see the five different points we're talking about. While I firmly believe in all five of them, I don't have them all down, okay? So I'm coming to you not as an expert who can say, here's, do what I do. I'm coming to you as a fellow struggler who says, here's where I'm, point, here's where I'm wanting to get to. Here's where I'd like to, to go. So having said that, what's the first thing we want to do? Honor God first. <clears throat> Malachi 3 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room, will not be enough room to store it. Now, this, this passage is talking about tithing, and we're going to talk more about that another time. But tithing is basically when you give 10% of your, in the, in the Israelites, of your first fruits. In other words, the first part of your income, you're giving 10% of that. So before everything else was paid, before everything was done, you were to give this 10%. It should be the first check you write after you get paid, or if you pay online, pay all your bills online anymore, it should still, the, the tithes should be first. And that's the point here I want to make. It's not to talk about tithing, but to say the priority of giving back to God should be at the top of our list. Giving to God first, by doing so, you're saying that in the most practical way possible, you're saying, God, I trust you. You've given me this money. My first step is to give some of it back to you. And that's, the, that's an issue of trust. Um, to this day, um, from the very early days of our marriage, I've kept a spreadsheet of our finances. I, it's another one of my issues that Betsy says I have about tracking everything. But uh, I mean, you could look on it. It says, all right, I'm anticipating or here are the, the income days. 
and always right, right, there, right underneath that is tithe. This is what we think the tithe is going to be, what it should be this time, and everything else comes below that. Um, that's our intent. Honor God first. Um, and that's always been our intent. Now, I haven't always been successful in that, I'll be honest. But 99% of the time, that's our priority. That's how we think. And that's our intent. And I think that's the first thing I just want to mention, that honor God first. Secondly, develop a plan for your money. Proverbs 21 says, The plans of a diligent lead to profit as sure as haste leads to profit, pro, I'm sorry, poverty. This is one area in my life where I would love to have a do-over. You know what I mean? Some of you have those like, Ugh, if I could do this all over again, this is one thing I would change. For the first 10 to 15 years of our marriage, uh, we were pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. And we never really started saving money until we were in our 40s. And so very much, I wish someone had told me back when we were first starting out in our 20s, that we should be setting aside, even if it's just a little bit, we should be setting something aside for retirement and setting something aside for the future or for an emergency, just to have that as part of our um, security or of our, of our uh, safety net, if you will, even if it's just a little bit. See, here's the thing. We were tithing. We were, from the very beginning, we've tithed as a couple. We just weren't saving and planning for our future. Again, it wasn't as if we had much to save, but it was just the idea. I wish we had followed some plan that just would have said, all right, we're going to do this, even if it was a dollar a week, but that something would have just had us in that practice, in that plan. So here, here, you know what our plan was? Here was our plan. If you need it, buy it. If you don't, don't. Not much of a plan, but that's what it was, right? So that's kind of how we lived our lives. And uh, we're very grateful for that. Um, again, it wasn't very strategic, but we've got, it got us through to the different stage and this different stage of life where circumstances were different. A good plan will help you spend wisely here and now, but will also help you to save for the future. So you need to have a plan. So honor God first, develop a plan. Number three, guard yourself from foolish debt. Now, notice I didn't say guard yourself from a foolish purchase. That's another topic altogether. But guard yourself from a foolish debt. Foolish debt is debt on appreciating asset, something that's going to decrease in value after you buy it. Furniture is one of those things. Um, electronics. Cars. Now, car is one of those tricky things because we all need them. We can't drive without a car. We can't get to work. We can't do anything without a car. And so Betsy's uh, car she drives, the Honda CRV, the first car in our entire marriage career that we bought new. We've always bought used cars, always paid cash for them, and this was the first time we bought new. What was interesting, and I went to the dealership, and I go, how much for this car? The salesman ignored my question and asked me, how much can you afford to pay each month? Or no, no. He said, what do you want your monthly payment to be? And I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. In his mind, the value of the cars doesn't matter. He wanted to know what I would pay, what I could pay in a month because 
what they do, it used to be your car loan was for four years, remember? Four years, and that was it. Now they're up to seven years. And so seven-year car loan, so yes, my monthly payment could be really low, but I'm now paying on it for an extra three years, and the interest I'm not paying on it just becomes... Now, you, don't, you may not notice it because you're paying a smaller amount every month. And you say, well, I can afford the monthly payment. But cumulatively, you're paying a whole lot more for that car. That's called a depreciating asset. That's a depreciating item. And so here's the thing about paying for a car for seven years. It's around that time that most people are actually thinking about getting a different car, trading it in, or they're needing to get repairs. It's that time period when cars start having maintenance issues besides tires and oil and stuff. You literally can find yourself paying for a car you no longer own or is no longer worth what you're actually still paying on it. It can really cause problems for you down the road. So that's one part of foolish debt where you're buying something that's going to decrease in value. Something, and you're going into debt. Honestly, it's not just buying it. It's going into debt over something uh, that's going to decrease in value over time. The second part of that, of foolish debt, is debt that you cannot repay. You buy something based upon the hope that you're going to get a raise this year. Or you buy, you invest in real estate with the hope that property values will continue to increase. And you spend the money and things don't work out like you hoped. And now you find yourself stuck and cars get repossessed, homes go into foreclosure, you're stressed, you're anxious, you're losing sleep, and that's not what God had planned for you in your life. God's desire is that we have freedom from the bondage that can come from making unwise choices about how we spend our money. Proverbs 22 tells us that the the borrower is servant to the lender. When you're literally in that kind of debt, you are in bondage to that debt. It literally affects everything you can do. So honor God first, develop a plan, guard yourself from foolish debt. Four, embrace the value of self-control. Some years ago, uh, Betsy came to me one morning, and now she's, she's in the nursery, okay? I already asked her permission to share the story. So, uh, you know, hey, she's, she's not here. So I was like, why would he do that to her? No, I've already asked her. I've gotten her permission to share the story. So she comes to me one morning and says, uh, you know, I was watching TV last night. I had gone to bed. And, and she started to make her case before she even told me what it was, which all there's red flags all over the place, you know, as, when that happens. And, and she's saying, she seems something like, I will use it all the time. And not only that, you can use it too. We can both benefit from this. And this will really help us get in shape. You know, and it's the next, you know, and she said, I even feared how we can afford to buy it. And uh, so tell me what it is. Some of you may remember this thing called the fitness flyer. It was like an elliptical, except you were, you were not on the ground. The pedals and things were in the air. And that was her thing. She said, it's not even like you're exercising. It's like you're walking on air. It, they, the people doing look so happy and easy, and they were just having, was like, you've got to be kidding me, really? Um, it was entirely emotional. And uh, she was convinced that this would solve her need to exercise more. 
It was an impulsive buy. It was entirely emotional. In the moment, did it work? No. It became, very quickly, it became an expensive clothes rack. (laughs) Some of you are nodding and laughing because you have one, maybe not the fitness flyer, but you have one like that at your house as well. Good intentions, and you think it'll work, and and it doesn't. We need to embrace this value of self-control. Have you ever studied this stuff at the checkout line in the stores? It's meant to appeal to your emotions. Yes, I want to know all the latest gossip about so-and-so and on the cover. Or, yes, I could really go for a candy bar right now, and it's meant to appeal to that. But, but think about that a second. You're standing in line in a store. There's two or three lines open. They've got ten more that they're not open. They're making you stand in line looking at stuff, hoping that you'll spend more money while you're waiting. That isn't demonic. I don't know what is, but uh, I mean, really, not, you don't, you're not opening up other lines. Open, they, don't, they don't open up other lines so you can get out quicker. They want to keep you in line so that you might buy something else while you're waiting. Man, terror, that's there. Proverbs tells us, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Paul, in the letter to Philippians, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. Embrace self-control. Lastly, we need to choose to live generously. That's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? You know, we're kind of in financial struggle and we're having a hard time, but yet we're to live generously. Financial freedom involves being generous. It just does. One becomes financially free not when they've accumulated vast wealth, but rather one becomes financially free when they are able to trust God with the financial security of their life. Again, we find in Proverbs, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. Now, I must tell you that there are both limits and exceptions to the principles I've just mentioned. Honor God first? Absolutely. But as I've already alluded to, there's been times in my life where I've eagerly given away our last dollar was happy to do this. I knew it's what I needed to do. But there's always been a couple times when I literally said to God, God, I don't have enough faith right now to give this. Knowing what was happening in in our life and baby needed formula and I have $5 to my name and God, I don't have enough faith right now to do that. So should I honor God first? Absolutely. But I recognize that sometimes Life happens in a way that makes that very challenging. Should we develop a plan for our money? Without a doubt. But even the best well-laid plans sometimes go awry. Guard yourself from foolish debt? Absolutely. But one person's risk is another person's step of faith. Where is God leading you? And is that a prayerful consideration? 
Embrace the value of self-control? Certainly. But things don't always work out as planned, even when we're patient. And choose to live generously by all means. But it's hard to be a cheerful giver when you're in great need yourself. My point is this. To do these things is not a guarantee that all will be good in life. However, I can say with a very high degree of certainty that if you don't do these things, you will not have the financial freedom that God wants for you. So will it guarantee everything will work out and be perfect? I can't tell you that. But if you don't, I can tell you 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 have no hope of trying to attain that type of financial freedom. So here's something else. It's entirely possible that you look at these five and you think that you're doing all you can to live by them. And you still find yourself in a position of financial struggle. Or you find yourself struggling because of the actions of someone else. Sometimes someone else's actions have caused problems for us. So what do you do about that? You know, it's interesting. I came across uh, a study. This study was actually dealing with pastoral ethics. And they discovered, and this is actually ethics in general, they discovered that talking about ethics and saying that we need to be ethical and, and trying to appeal to a person's moral basis to be ethical doesn't improve ethical behavior. It has no effect whatsoever. The only time you see effect in, in someone's ethical behavior is when you give them specifics. It is wrong to steal this from the company. It is wrong to open up this account in someone else's name. When you are very specific, you will alter behavior that way. It's, for me, it was just a fascinating study that just, even though we intend, which tells me that even though we intend to do the right thing, we often get it wrong unless we have very specific guidance. Now, I suggest that finances are the same way. I can, we, you can listen to talks and sermons and read books all about you know, financial freedom and, and, and how this should be, the way, how the way you should live your life, and it might have no effect whatsoever. Not because you, you, you're ignoring it because you don't want to, because it's just insufficient information. You need something very specific. Tell me what to do. What do I, if I got this situation, where do I go? What hap- needs to happen next? So what I've shared here this morning is probably not enough. It's been very general in nature. You need specific action steps. So here's the thing. Starting this week, so here's a, here's a blatant, shameless promo plug for uh, something coming up. Um, some of you have heard of Financial Peace University. Grace Covenant offers it a couple times a year. Um, and it, this, it's being held at the Cornelius campus. Starting this Wednesday is an information meeting. And then the next nine Wednesdays after that. So it's nine sessions. Um, during these nine sessions, you learn very specific things to do, like how do you deal with credit card debt, how to get out of debt, um, what to do with other types of specific debts, how do you come up with a plan, how do you start savings, and all these things. So very specific things to help you get not only out of debt, but to put a plan in place for your life and for your future. The cost is $109 for the materials. Grace is so committed to helping you get on top of this, we will reimburse you that fee if you attend all the sessions. So it'll cost you that money up front. And yes, you'll have to carry that debt for nine weeks. But on that last week, they will hand you a check 
as a reimbursement to, to put back in your account because we think this is, we want to invest in you to do that. So again, that starts uh, Wednesdays, an information meeting at 6.30 at the Cornelius campus. Uh, I believe the information there is in your worship guide. Um, and again, the stories we've heard of people who have gone through this, whose lives have been transformed because of what the information they gained, they were able to put into practice, and it changed their life forever, the way they live it. So when you look at the talks given by Jesus, a lot of them are related to money. They are. He knew the power of money, the power for freedom and the power for bondage. God's intent for you and me is to live in financial freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, thank you for this day. And uh, Father, I, I fully conscious of the fact that there's probably some here whose finances are in really healthy condition. Um, they've made wise choices, wise decisions, and Lord, I, I know they're grateful for that. I know that circumstances have allowed them to be this. Your grace uh, and your blessing has allowed this, and, and Father, we thank you. <clears throat> I know others as well, Father, who are struggling um, through... Um, probably for a variety of reasons. Um, some of them have may be some choices that were made. Some of it has to do with um, other decisions. Some of it could be because of circumstances beyond their control. But regardless, Lord God, their, their life is full of stress and anxiety. And Father, they need you. And so, Father, my prayer is that even now in this moment, Father, may they find your peace and contentment with regard to finances. Even, even if they don't have the answer, Father, may they be able to rest in you. Father, may they be able to trust in you to provide. And Father, for those who might need to, uh, or might benefit um, from taking this course, I pray, Father, you give them the courage to take that step. Father, the resources to make that initial investment as well, Father, of just the ability to clear their schedule for nine weeks on a Wednesday evening. Lord, that they would then be able to live in that blessing and that freedom related to their finances. So, Father, thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for the people you're bringing to be part of this community, this, this, this church family. Father, thank you for the, the leaders you brought and are raising up. Father, thank you for all that you're doing. In the midst of this, Lord, we want to glorify you in every area of our life, not just with our words, not just with our deeds, but, Father, also with our money, with our resources that you bless us. And uh, so, Lord, it's for those things, Lord, we just thank you and give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.